Hey sinners, I'm Megan. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Sinners Among Saints. Everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. You said that like all seductively. <laughs> yeah. My was my sex phone operator voice. Yeah. Do they even have those anymore? I'm sure they do. Huh. I don't know. <laughs> Just wonder if all I, the technology nowadays do people I don't know still either. I mean I guess webcam. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was very random. Okay. So, <laughs> so on that note. <laughs> yeah, on that note. Sorry. Um <laughs> How was so, your week? Oh, it was good. I mean, good. It's always, it's been busy, busy. Yeah. You know, same old. Yeah. Snowed a crap ton today it for everybody. It so. so much. And it was so great because uh, we just got the snow tires put on the van. Oh, nice. Yesterday. And so then it snowed today and it was so much snow that I was like, <laughs> oh, thank God. Perfect. Because yeah. It was, I mean, my kid's school was canceled. It was. Yeah. Ours was two hour delay, but. They ended up going, but it's their short day, which is so stupid because oh, yeah. then they're in school for like three hours, yeah. less than three hours. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. Lily was throwing up all night, so she wasn't going to go to school anyway. And then Nolan has afternoon kindergarten and he was pissed that he didn't get to go. <laughs> yeah. So both of our mad. houses are like, have the plagues right now. Yeah. Yeah. And Megan's still getting over her sickness. Yeah. I have like a. So maybe that's kind where your a, sex phone operator yeah, voice came kind from. Kind of a sexy voice. And yeah. I'm coughing still, and yeah, it's annoying. But at least I feel better, and I'm not throwing up because that was terrible. Yeah, that's good. So terrible. So we have a couple things that I think we're going to kind of do. First of all, we have three new Patreons that we would like to shout out. Yes. So first of all, someone messaged me and said, could you... To give like a little overview of what Patreon is. Yeah. So it's like an, a membership platform where you pay a monthly fee. And ours right now is at $5. Yeah. And then those proceeds or whatever the donation that we get um, will go back into the podcast. So it'll help us update equipment. And we have to pay a fee every month to put on the podcast yeah. and editing software and all of that. So it kind of goes back into that. Yeah, kind of just helps us be able to make like better content. And ma- yeah. it makes it so that we hopefully have more time to make better content for you guys. Um, and and if you jump on Patreon and just take a look, you'll see there's some membership like benefits. Um, you get like a, a bonus episode every month um, that's ad free. Um, we'll give a shout out. We'll you know, shout you out here on the podcast. Yeah. Um, we would like to get into doing some merchandise. And so once we get that kind of set up, you'll get like first dibs. On and the donations will actually help us get that set up more yeah. quickly. Help us find someone to help, like, you know, make T-shirts and tumblers and yeah, all of those types of things. Yeah. So there's so. some benefits to it. And, um, you know, the more more kind of donations we can get and the more people that listen and support us um, will help us just be able to 
do some more really cool things for you guys. Yes. In the future, stuff that we would love to do. So. Yeah. So on that note, we'll give a shout out to our newest three uh, patrons. Is that what they are called? <laughs> Patrons. I I don't know what it said on the website, but I can't remember. Yeah, Anyways, yeah. So Patronus. here's a yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Harry Potter. What's your Patronus? Yeah. Um. So Jack Frost. Thank you so so much, Carrie Kazare. We're hoping that we're saying that yeah. correctly. And Emily Elson. So we really, really appreciate Seriously, your support so, so much. Like, it's amazing for yes. us. Thank we, you, thank you, thank you, thank we you. We very, very much appreciate it. So, And another thing I think we're going to kind of start doing um, throughout the podcast that I listen to, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, kind of what's going on in the world or in their area or just like in the true crime world and kind of give updates or whatever. And so we kind of wanted to do something along those lines. Um, but more of like a positive outlook, whereas the stories we tell and the cases we tell um, tend to be pretty downing. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a word? Pretty, pretty big downers. <laughs> pretty depressing. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so we're going to give you an upper yes. with your downer, which is normally <laughs> right? not And then that should stable you, you know. out, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we thought maybe just um, given like little stories, if anybody has any that they would like to send us as well you can email us um and let us know and we would love to tell stories about any good things happening in your neighborhood or in your area or in your family or stories you've heard about just people doing good for other people that's kind of what we want to do here at the beginning yeah lift everybody up yeah before, before we, before we drag you, you drag you all the way down yeah um so for today i had found a pretty cool story that um, came out just earlier in October. And there is this hairstylist in Ogden named Brittany Botts. And she runs her business called Occultist Hair. And her booth is located inside the Thomas Hardy Salons in Ogden. But she gives free hair services for people with um, mental health issues. This is so amazing. And for me, someone who has had some depression... Um, postpartum depression whose mother was bipolar like you know my boyfriend struggles with that stuff sometimes um, just throughout my family a lot it is amazing to see someone doing something so good for people it really is that are struggling with that because there are times when people have mental health issues that they don't want to do the self-care yeah they that, just don't have that's that. a big big part of it too mm -hmm. and i deal with you know at my work i deal with mental health issues every single day yeah and people will come in and they you know it's hard for them to shower or yeah wash their hair or groom or uh -huh. like they just don't have the physical or mental energy uh -huh. to put forth that effort to yeah. do those things even yeah. though sometimes it can make you feel so much oh, better yeah. you just cannot get yourself or bring yourself to actually do it for sure so yeah this is an amazing service yeah and from what i was reading you know she's struggled with some mental health issues in the past or at times and so she knows what it feels like and she said you know even if you just need your hair like washed and blow dried and like braided or whatever it's all free of charge um you know you don't have to even say anything she said when I was reading about it, just this, you know, if you just want to come in and sit in silence and she'll wash your hair and, and blow dry it and, you know, make you feel a little bit better. Or if you want to cry or 
vent or whatever like whatever. it's all up to you but i think it's literally just an amazing thing to do yeah. for people yeah she's definitely like giving herself some really really good karma yeah absolutely i think this is i have not i had not heard of this and it's yeah. such an amazing thing because how many times do you go to the stylist and you're like it's so relaxing it's so nice to get your hair washed by somebody else yeah. who's a professional and like oh, yeah. gives you that little extra TLC and scalp, uh-huh. you know, massage and to not feel like pressured to talk to her. Cause yeah. sometimes I hate going to the salon because of that, where I'm like, <laughs> I hate small talk. Yeah. I don't want to sit there and like, you know, open up about my whole life, but I also don't want to sit there in silence. Yeah. It feels awkward. Yeah. You never know so, like what. <laughs> yeah. Just to have that, like, it's okay. You don't have to talk to me. Yeah. You can just sit in silence uh-huh. or. Some people use that as like their venting session yeah. and like a therapy session. Yeah. And, you know, stylists get all the dirt. Oh, on yeah. A lot of people. So, yeah, I think it's great. I Either do too. way, whatever makes you feel better, comfortable. Yeah. I just think it's really great. So, yeah. So if you're struggling, Brittany bought at the Thomas Hardy Salons in Ogden. And she, shout out to Brittany. And then yeah. even if you're not struggling with that, go see her because she's obviously yeah, an yeah. amazing person. Absolutely. So. Yeah. If you're. If Let's you're in the give area, her some support for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that high note, <laughs> I'm going to start to bring you all back down. Um, I'm doing a case that's going to be a two-parter, which is our first two-parter. Our first two-parter. And I still like we we were like, how do we do this? What are we supposed to do? So hopefully it flows okay and everybody likes it. Um. But and I am also so this is the first two parter and it's also one that is not <clears throat> sorry, not in Utah. So I know in one of the previous podcasts I talked about watching um was I am a stalker. Yeah. Okay, so I watched that and then I got like so caught up on <laughs> like stalkers and I was like, Why? So I was like just I know she's like, I want to do a stalker case. I have to find one. <laughs> so I found one um that <clears throat> sorry. I found one that has a little bit of the stalking, but then it ends up being more murders. But it takes place in Louisiana. And so I know we'd kind of talked to you guys a little bit in the past, too, about throwing some different ones in here that were not from Utah. So this is going to be the first one. Um, Hopefully you guys like it. We love doing like the Utah cases, but I think it's fun every now and then to get um, just some cases from other places yeah you know i think so too i mean we'll still focus on mostly around here but for sure i think once a month or so we'll throw something in from a different area which is yeah i think it'll be fun yeah i mean utah definitely we have like our our dark spots and our murders and like terrible things that happen here but i think there's a lot of other places that have some really interesting cases that are worth talking about so yeah there's so, monsters yeah. everywhere right unfortunately so <laughs> yeah unfortunately you know All right, so this one, it's going to hopefully be okay for you guys to listen to. I'm trying to make it the easiest and most, like, um, chronological, but bear with me. So let's get started. So we're going to start out with Connie Lynn Brooks Warner. She was born on August 30th, 1950. I'm only going to give, like, a brief little bit about the beginning of her life just so you kind of understand where she gets to at the end of her life um but around 1974 she was 24 she was married and had just given birth to her daughter tracy but when tracy was just a baby connie divorced her husband at the time 
And for many years after that, her and Tracy lived with her parents, Jack and Betty Brooks. So in... I love that name, Betty Brooks. I know, right? It sounds like a movie star. Yeah, it does, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What do they call that when they're like palindromic? Is that what they call it? Like the Betty Brooks, like B&B? Sure. Okay. I might have made that up. <laughs> I have <laughs> I'm no not idea. Right way. But <laughs> anyway, so in 1988... Connie had moved into a cute little subdivision called Oak Shadows, and it was named that because it ran alongside the Azalea Rest Cemetery that had these really big, majestic oak trees, and in the morning, the um, it would cast shadows over the subdivision. Oh, I love that. I know. I thought it was, like, such a cute little... Like, it, like, can go either way. Like, that could be really right? creepy, Yeah, or it could be, like, really cool. Well, and sometimes you see, like, these subdivisions where they're named things, and you're like, there's no oaks around here. <laughs> or, like, there's not a river over here <laughs> or a lake. Anyway, so I thought it was kind of cute. But she had, an, she had a job as an accountant at the Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals. But soon after moving into Oak Shadows, she was laid off because she did not have a degree. Okay. So at this point, Connie's feeling pretty down because she'd lived with her parents for quite a long time. 20 years or something like after her divorce. And so she'd finally got out on her own. So she was feeling pretty bad. um, But her parents agree to pay her bills while she attends college. Oh, that's nice. I know. They sound just like great people. So she went to college. And in 1990, she graduated from Southeastern Louisiana University, ready to start her future. She landed um, another job with the state. And now she was financially stable. Her and Tracy were kind of living their best little life nice okay so in august of 1992 most louisiana residents were preparing for hurricane andrew they were stocking up on last minute supplies water food gas um, plywood to protect windows um and hurricane andrew had already torn through the bahamas and the lower parts of florida but now was just sitting in the gulf kind of waiting to make its next move Ugh. yeah and I've never had to deal with like no, hurricanes, it but it's terrifying. It does, and they just seem like it's. They act like it's just an everyday They're thing. Like, yeah, we're <laughs> like, already we're hunkered <laughs> down. We're good. You guys are amazing. Because yeah, I don't think I could do that. No, it would it would be so stressful for me. Oh, I can't even imagine my children. Oh, like nope. <laughs> I know we have some anxious kids in my house, and yeah, it would just not be. It would just not be okay. Yeah, <laughs> but um, okay, so the town of Zachary is a small town that's about 14 miles northeast of Baton Rouge. And so residents there were not quite as concerned as the coastal cities because they were just a little bit farther away from where the bulk of the hurricanes generally hit. Okay. But there was one woman, Connie Lynn Brooks Warner, who had other things on her mind. So at this time, Connie was 41, almost 42. Her birthday was in about a week. Okay. And her daughter, Tracy, was now 17. Okay. Okay. And for once, they were, you know, Connie was at ease within her life. She had all those years of struggling, and her hard work had, like, finally paid off. They were in this cute little house. But then one day, she spots a black man peeping in her windows. Ew. Right? Peeping toms are just so gross to me. It's so creepy. It's, like, such a violation. And it's just... It just... is so weird for me, because... You have, I mean, you have to think, I don't know, people like watching porn or whatever, like there's sexual things going on, but like a lot of times right. peeping toms are just watching like your like normal day to day weird or like those people that put the 
the camera's like in the bathroom. Like you want to watch yeah. someone pee and poop? That's like, it's disgusting. So weird. Yeah, it's so weird to so me too. Weird. So she reports this incident to the police, and then she hadn't seen the man since then. Okay. She's kind of going about her life. Um, a little background with the town of Zachary. So 1992, Zachary was obviously much smaller than it is today. It was full of old, charming homes with large properties lined by country roads. <laughs> I thought you were going to say old, charming people. <laughs> old, charming Excuse homes. Me. Okay. And I'm sure old, charming people. <laughs> probably, probably one and the same. Um, they had a small business section, but outside of that, there were not very many commercial properties. It had, it very, very much had like that small town appeal, low crime rates, friendly neighbors, like just it sounds like my dream, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just yeah. kind of sounds like a quaint, like cute little country town. Um, and no one there had any idea that Zachary and Oak Shadows, the safe neighborhood that was filled with single moms and families just starting out would become a playground for a man who lived just down the highway in St. Francisville. Ugh, yeah. I don't like this. No. So on August 23rd, Connie was home alone for the weekend because Tracy had gone to stay with a friend while attending orientation at LSU. Okay. Okay. And so, and you know, Connie was pretty. She had thick, dark, curly hair. She had beautiful green eyes, but instead of spending her alone time dating or out with friends or just you know living a single woman's life she was really more into just hanging out at home watching tv and cross-stitching so she's like my my people <laughs> she's your she's your <laughs> spirit animal <laughs> yes yeah she just sounds like she was you know she got divorced at a really young age and then it seems like she just devoted her life to her daughter and to like hard work Aww. and just like was living her life in this cute little you know, subdivision and yeah. Now, five days before this time, a man in St. Francisville, just 20 miles up the road from Oak Shadows, had lost his job. And while Connie did not know this man, he knew her and he not only knew her, but he knew Zachary very well because he had worked there through the late 1980s and early 1990s. Okay. His feeling of incompetence and anger and the fact that he could never get the attention of the women he really desired really fueled a fire within him. And no one knows what really happened next, but Connie's home gave some insight to what maybe happened. On August 24th, remember August 23rd, Connie, Connie was home alone. On August 24th, around 9 p.m., Tracy returns home. And her mom's not there. But the TV's on, and her cross-stitch was laid neatly on the ground in front of where she usually sat. Okay. And so Tracy just figured her mom had ran to the neighbors and would be back. But when 10.30 rolled around and her mom still was not home, she really began to worry. So she called her grandparents, but no one answered. And so she decided to go check with neighbors. So she went kind of door-to-door, but no one had seen Connie. Oh, no. So when Tracy gets back home, she starts to kind of notice that there's like little things around the house that seem out of place. And at 11.30, Tracy was finally able to get in touch with her grandfather, Jack, who immediately headed over. Tracy showed her grandfather that the washer and dryer seemed like it was out of place. And she had noticed that there were some blood spots on the floor. They went out to the carport and they found three lavender buttons that looked like they had been pulled off a shirt. And Connie's car, a 1989 Chevy Cavalier, was still parked in the carport. And when Jack looked inside, he noticed that there was vomit on the back seat. <gasps> oh. Right? Kind of weird. 
Okay. And so he obviously was worried, so he called the police. So Officer D.L. Courtney was the first to arrive on the scene, followed by Sergeant Bruce, and I believe it's Chason, C-H-A-I-S-S-O-N, or Chason. I don't know. I know there's a lot of like... Chason. <laughs> yeah, there's like some <laughs> French that goes on down there, and that is I not my say, forte. That sounds like a French name. Chason. <laughs> So I don't know if I'm just calling Sergeant Bruce. <laughs> that might be better. But anyway, officers start in the carport with Connie's car. Um, upon investigation, they find brown hair and vomit on the hood. Oh, okay. And remind me what color her hair was. <coughs> Sorry, guys. Um, brown. She had brown okay. curly hair. Okay. So they find brown hair and vomit on the hood. And they also noticed marks on the hood that looked as though someone had laid across the hood oh. of the car. Okay. And on the side of the car, there was it was dusty, I'm sure, because it's a country area and it's a carport. And it looked, it showed that someone had slid from the back passenger door to the front door, like oh. up against the car on the outside. And then along with the vomit that they had noticed in the back seat, Sergeant Bruce also found part of a belt buckle. The three lavender buttons that were on the carport floor were identified by Tracy as being ones that belonged to a striped shirt that her mom frequently wore. Oh, this is scary. I know. So upon inspection of the door leading from the carport into the utility room, they noticed that there were no signs of forced entry. Once inside the utility room, they noticed three blood spots on the floor. And to the officers, it looked as though someone had tried to maybe grab the washer as being as they were being pulled out of the house. <gasps> And so that's why it was out of place. And they found another piece of a belt on the dryer. Further investigation showed in Connie's bedroom that there had been an obvious struggle. Her mattress was pushed all the way up to the nightstand. Her bed was normally made nice and neat, but the sheets were all bunched up in the middle of the bed. The bottom drawer in her nightstand where she kept mace was partially open her glasses were found on the floor, which was concerning because Connie apparently had really poor vision, so much so that she rarely went out at night because she could not see well enough to like Ugh. drive at night. Okay, I feel like that's like me and you because we both <laughs> yeah. wear glasses and we were just talking about this and yeah. we're both like fairly blind. I think I'm way more blind. Yeah, than you're way you, more. But, but but yeah, like if if I were to ever go missing and my glasses were there, yeah, you know that that's oh yeah, I always have my glasses yeah, on until like, I go to that's sleep. That's not good. Yeah. Um, and then they found a blood stain on the carpet next to the bed. So there was also a pair of pink pants and white panties, all with blood stains, <gasps> that were placed into evidence. Oh, no. So at this point, officers obviously believe Connie's missing and potentially hurt. But they have no leads. So all they could really do was just wait. Ugh. Yeah. So although it looked as though Connie didn't leave quietly, no one heard anything. None of her neighbors. Um, but later... A witness would come forward saying that the night of the incident, he noticed a man carrying a bundle towards Connie's car, but then placed the bundle into another vehicle that had been parked behind Connie's car that was a red Buick. Okay. Okay. And that a was it. bundle? So, yeah. Okay. So that was it. They had no leads. That was the only thing that they had was that now a man had been spotted there in a red, a Buick. red Buick. Okay. Okay. So now we go forward to August 26th. Hurricane Andrew finally comes through. Hits Baton Rouge, and while it had greatly diminished since its journey from the coast, the winds were still upward of seventy miles per hour. Which oh, wow. I mean, we get we get winds like that here, yeah, pretty. But they're I mean, it still does some 
damage. It does some damage, Especially yeah. with, like, the hurricane, like, rain and all of, like, the storm right. that comes with it. So on September 2nd, a truck driver discovered Connie's body on Sorrel Street near Capitol Lake and downtown Baton Rouge. She was badly decomposed, but the coroner was able to determine that she had died from a skull fracture from an apparent beating. But due to the level of decomposition and the fact that her body had been through a freaking hurricane, any chance of getting any DNA or anything off of her body was gone. Yeah, it's destroyed. Completely gone. So it would take the family 11 long years before they would even get an inkling of who may have committed the horrific crime. But... 11 years. We'll never know for sure because there's no DNA evidence. <gasps> so. Uh, uh, dun, dun, dun. That, okay. Yeah, so that's that. Okay. <laughs> Three months after the brutal murder of Connie Lynn Warner, in November 1992, a man had broken into a home in Fenwood subdivision. And just kind of remember all these little names because they kind of all tie in together. So a man had broken into a home in the Fenwood subdivision that's just across the highway from Oak Shadows. The intruder had been watching the home. There's like a big golf course behind it, and so he had a clear view. Okay. So he'd been watching the home and didn't expect anyone to be there. During his invasion, the homeowner unexpectedly came home and startled the man, but he tried to be friendly by saying, hi, I'm looking for Monroe, before running out of the house. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Monroe. <laughs> Sorry. If you're going to have someone, like, break into your house, I mean, the best scenario is for them to be like, hey, I'm looking for Monroe, and then just book yeah. it out of oh, your you're house. you're not Monroe? Okay, bye. <laughs> so he runs out of the house, grabs a bike, and just begins pedaling as fast as he can to the Azalea <laughs> Rest Cemetery, oh, no. where he tries to hide. So he's hiding in the cemetery at night. Um, eventually he starts seeing flashlights searching through the cemetery so he panics jumps into his maroon Buick (gasps) Electra oh no and fled the police gave chase and arrest him without incident but he makes bail two days later and would soon return to the area on a rainy night in April 1993 so just a few months after that incident a teenage couple is parked in their blue Toyota Corolla at Bueller Plains Cemetery, yeah, located <laughs> located <laughs> just behind Azalea Rest Cemetery. Okay. This was, to them, the perfect place to take their teenage love. Oh, yeah. So it's nighttime, it's raining, and I all I know is they're teenagers, <laughs> and they go there to have a Bouch. little fun, oh, wow. right? So they begin fooling around, they make it to the back seat, they begin moving, removing their clothes, and in, like, the midst of... Their throes of passion. (laughs) The car door is yanked open and a man jumps in (gasps) and immediately hits the boy in the head with an axe. What? An axe? An axe. So they can't. Shit, that escalated. Yeah. So they can't, like, when he first jumps in, like, they can't really, like, when he opens the door, they can't really see him, right? Because it's so bright. All they can see is, like, a silhouette. Okay. And then an axe hits the boy in the head. The girl (gasps) starts screaming, putting her hands in front of her face. And as she's doing that, the axe gets, like, raked across her leg and, like, slices her leg (gasps) open. The couple continues trying to avoid the axe, but it just keeps coming. He's, like, in the car with them, like, trying to hack them to pieces with an axe. And he just, like, dug it out of his, out of the guy's skull and just keeps going? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, 
the poor this boy i don't know he his whole like arms and hands are just completely like mutilated because <gasps> the whole time he's trying to protect the girl oh my god as the guy is like attacking them but as quickly as it begins it ends and the man just jumps out of the car like st- takes the keys and just runs off he takes their keys takes their car keys and runs off oh no into the cemetery in the dark in the rain they're like terrified and still alive so they lock the car doors and the reason he took off was because officer troy eubanks just happened to be driving down the highway and happened to see the dome light of the car turn on and he he was was like like, what the hell is the car doing in this weather in the middle of the night at the cemetery so he flips around just to go see what's going on and that's what this man saw was the headlights coming back and it scared him away oh thank the lord right and so the officer gets there and he approaches slowly to the car because he still doesn't know what's going on and he's shining the light in the car and the girl thinking it's that guy like coming back starts just screaming and like screaming like it's him it's him and the officer can like tell she's terrified so he points the flashlight like on himself so that they can see like that he's an officer yeah. like and who he is and so the girl slowly unlocks the door. She unlocks the door and it's just like blood everywhere. Oh my god. The kids are like half naked um seeing the wounds on the boy because he has like a huge axe chop in his head. <laughs> so he calls <laughs> paramedics. I just would not be good in these situations. I'd be like, what the, like, what just happened? Like, I would just, I I would just go into shock and I'd be like, um, I don't even know how to function right now. Yeah. And I'm sure we were just having the time of our lives making out in the backseat, getting hot and heavy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden somebody just like, I mean, it's your worst fear that somebody like looks in the window. Oh yeah. Just catches catches you. you, Right. Like we've not, maybe not all of us, but. Most of us have probably been there, and you're in some remote location, yeah. you know. Even sometimes thing, just in your then, own bedroom. Yeah, and then <laughs> all children. of a sudden, not only do you get, like, interrupted, but somebody starts mutilating you with an axe. Yeah. Like, that's, like, horror story, like, what? sitting around the fire, and you tell, like, a horror story yes. about some man coming in and chopping Ooh, you up in your tent. It reminds me of the hook one. Yeah. Yeah, it's so <laughs> just terrifying. So, okay, so he calls paramedics, and while the kids are being transported to the hospital, police try to investigate, obviously, like, the scene. But it's pouring rain outside, Ugh. so, of course, there's no footprints. There's, he picks, like, the best times right? for these things. Right? So there's nothing that they can really go off of. Like, he's no dummy. No. I mean, he kind of is technically well, but it doesn't come across but no but yeah but he like uses mother nature to his advantage right i don't know if that's on purpose or Some what, shady but, shit man yeah so they they have nothing 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 but six years later the girl would finally be able to identify her attacker in a lineup six years six years Ugh. but it would be too little too late as the statute of limitations for attempted murder uh. had passed oh <gasps> So she identifies her attacker who gets to just walk the streets. And that man was Derek Todd Lee. Oh, Derek, you're a dick. And I don't understand. Like, I, I just don't know. First of all, there shouldn't be a statute of limitations on any sort of attempted murder or right. murder or any of that. Right. Or rape, attempted, or rape. whatever. Yes. Any of that. 
But now she can say that this is who tried to kill me, and they're just like, whoop, oh well. Okay, so this is going to, my next case, Uh I didn't know this, so I just learned all this, but, and I don't know if this varies state to state, but the the case that I'm doing next has like a lot of rape in it, and Uh so they get all this DNA evidence, but they can't find a suspect. Oh, sorry, that was my (laughs) phone that just dropped. Um, Anyways, and, but they actually open a case because they have John, they have John Doe's DNA. Yeah. So if they have that, they can open a case, and uh-huh. then the statute never runs out. I think until they identify yeah. who it is. There was another podcast where the police had done something like yeah, that. Yeah, and like that is so smart. But I guess in this case, they really couldn't. They don't have there's anything. No DNA. Yeah, there's nothing. So there's nothing that they could have opened a case right. for to keep it open. Yeah. Oh, so that is so frustrating. I know it would be so like. Just as, like, the victim, just so... Well, and just to think, like, that the six years that have passed... Yeah. How, I would be terrified to oh, do anything. Absolutely. Like, the PTSD that that girl must go through. Yeah, and then being able to see him and be like, that's him, and they're just like, well, And they're like, okay. Okay, too thanks. bad. Thanks for that info. Yeah. Bye, Derek. Right? What? Yeah. So while it's believed that Connie was Todd's first victim, there are two other murders that have never been solved and may have also been the work of Derek Todd Lee. Okay. So there was a young LSU student named Melissa Montz. She went missing in 1985 while she was out jogging, which is number one, another reason why you just don't go jogging outside. I swear (laughs) that just happens too much. Just women stop jogging outside. Her body was discovered close to LSU and she had been strangled. Do do we know how Connie died they did the coroner just said it looked um blunt force trauma blunt to the head she had a skull head. fracture so this is so weird because you have blunt force trauma <laughs> and axe attack yeah strangulation yeah you'll so see like he does different modes he doesn't have like an mo he just no. like he has a type of does woman whatever he has a type but he doesn't have like a an mo when it comes to like the mode of murder oh yeah okay. um so then there was another woman joyce taylor She'd been stabbed to death in her Baton Rouge home just three months prior to Connie's death. And Joyce had been a PE teacher at Todd's high school. So if these murders are the work of Derek Todd Lee, then on the night of Connie's death, that was the night a serial killer was born. Wow. But spoiler alert, we never find out. Like, those are unsolved. Those are all unsolved. Okay. Okay. I don't like this. I know. (laughs) So let's get into a little bit more here about like Derek Todd Lee and his childhood and all that. Okay. Okay. So many people think of when you, they think of Louisiana, you think of flat swampy land, which yeah. is what I think of. Cause yeah. I am geographically stupid too. So I don't, that's what I think <laughs> of, which is true for some or most areas in Louisiana, but St. Francisville begins the foothills of the Appalach- Appalachian mountains. I looked it up. I think here we say Appalachian, Appalachian. but yep. it's Appalachian App- is yeah. how I believe they say it. I think so too. So, but we, we have always said Appalachian, <laughs> we say Appalachian here in Utah. And so. I think it sounds better than Appalachian. <laughs> I so. know. I'm but, just saying. <clears throat> so St. Francis feels full of antebellum style homes and plantations like the Hemingbow and the Greenwood plantations. Um, it's said that Lee's ancestors worked on the Greenwood Plantation, and interestingly enough, that would later be owned by Connie Lee Warner's sister. 
Okay. So is he a black, is he the he black is, man? He is a black man. Okay. So, so were they like slaves or did they just work yeah, there? No. Okay. I believe they were. Okay. Just, owned, just clarifying. Owned because on the, yeah. There's two different ways that this could have. True. But no, they interpreted, believe so. that, that his ancestors were slaves on okay. this plantation who later that is, is owned like, by. What? That yeah. like, is such a bizarre connection. Right. Um, there's also the Myrtles Plantation that's said to be one of the most haunted houses in the country. Ooh, I want to go. I know. But historians dispute the amount of murders that have taken place there. They can, in fact, say that there was one, but some people say there was up to ten. Oh, okay. That's so, like... very, like... when I started, Not even close. No. And when I started reading about it, I was like, well, <laughs> if there was only one, like, all of these things that people say happened there, it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know why, but it's... It's supposed to be one of the haunted, most haunted places in the country, which okay. still would be fun to go to it would be either fun. way. Another plantation is the Butler Greenwood Plantation, and the owner of that is Ann Butler. She was previously married to um, a former Louisiana State Penitentiary warden by the name of C. Murray Henderson, who was sentenced to 50 years in prison for the 1997 <gasps> attempted murder of his wife. What? He was <laughs> yeah. a warden who yeah. tried to kill his wife? Yeah. Oh, good luck in prison, my right, dude. Right? Good luck. So while this small town may have its secrets, time seems to really have stopped here with the racial lines still very apparent. Oh. So there tends to be a separation of the wealthier white landowners and the blacks who live together in clusters. So because this heritage still runs so strong in their community, and a lot of the information I got was from a book, and okay. I'll link the book. But it was written, I believe, in 2006. So stuff may be a little bit different here. And it may not be quite as, as racially yeah, as bad as this is saying. But up to this point, it seems like it may have been. Okay. So uh, let's see. Because the heritage was so strong in their community, the black boys were taught to stay away from white women. They referred to them as the forbidden fruit that will do nothing but bring you trouble. The white devil. Right. But even the lighter-skinned blacks, like the Creoles, were told to be left alone. Oh. So everyone was just taught, was, <laughs> everyone was taught <laughs> to stick to their own. And this is so crazy. But it wasn't until 2008 that the West Feliciana High School in St. Francisville held their first integrated prom. Shut up. 2008? So up until that what? point, they would have a white prom held on one day <gasps> and a black prom held on a separate day. Wow. That's like crazy, right? Like we, yeah. at least here in Utah, maybe we're just stupid. But when you hear about like the, you know, having a white prom and a black prom, like that's like the 1950s, 60s, yeah. 70s, but like 2008. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Yeah. So crazy to me. I feel like that's like an alien planet. Yeah, but it's a small town in the south. And I think that's like, nuts. you know, we grew up in a really small town in, in Utah. And it's like those small towns kind of tend to be really slow to get with the times. It's you true. know. And I mean, to be fair, in Utah, we probably wouldn't have any any areas in the small towns that would have enough people to have their own black prom. no 
No, not at all. So that's just, you know, that's kind of how we grew up. It's just very different. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to give that background of like this small town kind of feel because um, Derek Todd Lee was born in St. Francisville on November 5th, 1968. So he grew up very much in this time of like the separation of, of blacks and whites. Okay. He was born to Samuel Ruth and Florence Lee. Derek Todd Lee, who went by Todd, was the second of four children and the only boy. So he had one older sister named Tanita and two younger sisters, Tarshia and Deborah. Now, Todd and Tanita had the same father, Samuel, and Tarshia. I'm not sure who the fathers of Tarshia and Deborah are exactly, but I know that the first two, they were both Samuel, Ruth's, and Florence's children. Um, Todd's mother, Florence, was only 17 when he was born. So she was even younger than that when she had her first kid. Oh, yeah. Because he's he's the the second. second. So she was a very young mother. Okay. Um, And shortly after Todd's birth, his father, Samuel, left to go back to his first wife and the mother of his five children. Uh, Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So how there must have been quite a big bit of an age I have no idea how old the dad was. But he'd been getting around at least. Yeah, like five kids with one woman. Yeah, had been Means married. they had been together for a while. Yeah. Oh. So he would go on to father three more children. One more with his first wife, making that six children they had together. And then he had two with his second wife. So he and Florence were never married. Okay. So he was married once. Was with Florence for a couple of years. They had their two Popped kids. Up, a couple kids. Went back to his first wife. Had a couple more kids. Yeah, and then got married again. Had a couple more kids. Yes. Yeah. So altogether, he would have ten children. Holy shit! Right, with three different women. Florence would go on to marry a man named Coleman Barrow. He was a religious man who drove a cement truck. Overall, he was a pretty good guy. They raised their kids to be like super religious. Um, there were some accounts I read where he might have been a little bit like physically abusive, but not. Yeah, so he was, um, I think, just in a disciplinary kind of way, you know, like old times. Yeah. Black people, like, they were a little bit more hands-on when it came to discipline. Um, They made their home in Independence, which is a small town just outside of St. Francisville. And um, they lived in a nice little house surrounded by trailers that were filled with Todd's aunts, uncles, and cousins. The locals there would call it Lee's Quarters. Because they all kind of, like, lived in just this little area. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So the kids in Lee's quarters were not allowed to play inside during the day. Same. That's how I was when I was a kid. Okay. Um, So Todd enjoyed exploring. He liked to bird watch. Um, And he really looked up to his uncle Robert and his maternal grandfather. But he also greatly respected Coleman, his stepfather, and was glad to have him in his life. Okay. So it seems like his childhood was pretty good. Pretty okay. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. seem like there was any like real, real issues. Um, he did struggle academically with an IQ of below 70 to about 75. Okay. Um, the average IQ in the U.S. is 98, with 68% of people having an IQ between 85 and 115. So he was a little bit, a little maybe well, yeah. slower that way. Um, But despite that struggle, he really loved physical education, and he was really good at it. And he also played drums in the school band, which I think is pretty cool, because, you know, those southern states, they always have, like, really cool college bands. Yeah, their bands are, like, 
amazing. Yeah. So him and his cousin both played and, like, in the, the drum line. Yeah. So yeah. him and his cousin both played drums in the band. So he had his talents. But starting around age six or seven is when his family began noticing that he had a propensity to be a peeping Tom. Oh, uh, six or yeah. seven? Yeah. And when I was oh. like, I watched a documentary on this as well. Um, I have a six-year-old and I cannot fathom him like, number one, holding still long enough to peep into someone's windows. Right. <laughs> and like finding any joy out of it. Like, I just can't imagine. I just can't. First of all, he's too short to see in anyone's windows. <laughs> like, I just, it blew my mind because yeah. I cannot understand that, like, at that age, where that's coming from. Yeah. So strange to that me. That is young. Yeah. He also took a liking to torturing cats and dogs. Of course. Which is, you know, the quintessential making of a serial killer. Yeah. Um, when he was about nine, he had a really close cousin that lived in the Lee's quarters with him. But when he was about nine, his cousin was 10, and that's when his cousin had started hearing rumors that he was peeping into their cousin, like other cousin, girl cousin's windows. <gasps> Ew. Yeah. Ew. So, like, the family kind of knew, but I don't... But it's the 60s. Yeah. So what do you do? The 70s, yeah. You're just like, stop being a creeper. I don't know. I don't know. But it started very young. Just after turning 13... Todd was arrested for burglarizing a candy store called Sweet Shop. Um, and he pled guilty and was placed on probation in order to pay restitution. At age 16, he intentionally set his car on fire trying to get insurance money. Okay. Right? And he was also charged with second-degree attempted murder <gasps> for pulling a knife on Ray Rayford, who was another teen, during a fight and trying to stab him. At 16. At 16. Okay. But due to him being a juvenile, I don't know exactly what happened with that charge. Yeah. It didn't really say. Okay. Um, in 1986, at age 18, Todd's uncle Alfred Lee and his mother Florence went to the West Feliciana Parish Sheriff's Office to report that Todd had been peeping into the windows of Alfred's home and of the home of his sister Angelina. And Alfred said it had been going on for about two weeks and that he was sick and tired of it. <laughs> so he's like, listen, I'm done with this little yeah, and his, looking and, in my house. Yeah, and Todd's mom went in with him like, yeah, he's he's a peeping Tom. Yeah, he's a creeper. Yeah, but you even know. with all of his run-ins that he'd had with the law, he never spent any time in juvenile detention. That's so bizarre. Weird, right? Yeah. So also at age 13 is when Todd met... Jacqueline Denise Sims. She had just moved to St. Francisville with her father, Henry Sims, after her mother, Doris, had passed away. She was quiet and smart and really took a liking to the boy with a big smile. And Todd really liked her because she was nice to him and he didn't have to try hard to impress her. But he did enjoy trying to impress others. So from what I could tell, he didn't have a lot of friends in school. Okay. But he didn't really try. He just, he had so many cousins that he lived with. That's just kind of, those were his people. So he hung out with his cousins and he didn't really like have a lot of school friends. Okay. Todd and Jackie dated on and off all through high school. Todd dropped out in 11th grade. And in 1987, he began working as a pipe fitters helper at Kellogg Brown and Root Construction in the town of Zachary. While there, he fell in love with the town 
and was there until the middle of 1988 when Jackie had graduated and they were married. So they had a big wedding with all their family there. And nine months later, Jackie would give birth to their first child, a son, Derek Todd Lee Jr. Now, in September 1988, which I believe is still while she's pregnant, Todd finds himself in trouble again and would plead guilty to the unauthorized entry of an inhabited dwelling. In November 1992, the couple had their second child, a daughter, named Doris after Jackie's mom, who had passed away. Remember, this is just months after the death of Connie Lynn Warner. Oh, okay. And right around that time of the home invasion. Okay. And just before the attack in the cemetery. Oh. So Todd was a hard worker. He did the pipe fitting, and then at sometimes he drove a cement truck. He would take his kids to the zoo. He would take them to the park on the weekends. He would do all that stuff. But if occasionally he just didn't come home at night, well, he was a man and he could do whatever the hell he wanted. Oh, okay. He loved spending nights in the bars getting drunk and bragging about all the women he had. <gasps> I'm sure his wife loved that. Well, so Todd's marriage to Jackie had gone downhill pretty much after the birth of their first child, which was, you know, a hot second after they'd been married. Right. And occasionally they would have sex, but there really was no real intimacy or communication in their relationship. Jackie knew of all the women that he had, heard all the rumors around town, but she chose to ignore them. And she's quoted as saying, I just quit caring and went on with my life. Oh, that's so sad. So they stay married throughout the years. Okay. But she, it's like she's married and she loves him in her own way, but like she just doesn't really care what he does. It's like a shell of a marriage. Yeah. Almost. Um, and Todd didn't really care about all the women he would get at the bar because they were super easy. He much preferred women that he felt were forbidden. The dark hair, light skin, mm-hmm. high cheekbones, smart women. The ones, like those were the ones that he liked to watch. And so he had, yeah, so all these women at the bars that would, like, throw themselves on him, like, he would use them, but they did nothing for him. Okay. And I told you this is kind of a jump back and forth. So we've we've been in the, like, November area in 1992 and kind of back and forth. But once again, in November 1992, Jackie files an absent parent form against Todd, stating that he's walked out on his children. Oh. And in early 1993, she requested action against him for criminal neglect of family. Oh. So after she does that, Todd eventually comes home, and things were okay for, like, a hot second. But then in June of 1993, she reports him for beating and choking her. So he does this a lot where, like, they have a home, and they're married, but he doesn't always live there. He just kind of comes and goes. He just really does whatever he wants. Yeah. And she just really doesn't And give just lives like a single life. Pretty much. She's basically just like, I need you to support your kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far, there's a lot kind of that's gone on in his life in kind of a short amount of time. But at the same time, his biological father is also struggling. So Samuel Ruth had been hospitalized many times for mental health issues. And he had been diagnosed with manic depressive disorder and was considered psychotic preaching the Bible to anyone that would listen. Mm. I don't know why crazy people always get so, like, religious. It creeps me out. He also had a history of violence towards women, and in 1991, he was divorced from Rosemarie Williams, 
who claimed he'd been physically abusive, and that was his second wife. And at the end of 1991, Gretna, Louisiana police would arrest Samuel for the attempted murder of Rose. Holy crap. He had pulled a gun on her in an argument and fired it multiple times. But fortunately for Rose, the gun misfired. Oh, multiple times? Multiple times. Okay. And she was never harmed. Oh, good. Right? So while he was in custody awaiting trial, guards noted that they would frequently find him naked in his cell washing his face in the toilet. Ew. Right? Uh. <laughs> oh, so gross. Uh. So he ultimately was found incompetent to stand trial, okay. and he's placed in an institution until he's fit for trial. In 19, so that was 1991. 1997, they move him to another facility where he is for another five years before he's found competent to stand trial. So it was like a decade before Holy crap. he's like... Okay, so that took place before... All the other stuff, right? Like his dad. This is taking place in the 90s around the time that like all of this is starting to take place. Connie gets murdered Murdered. in 1992. So this is like the kind of the beginning. So just as his stuff starts kind of happening, his dad's kind of like in the same weird struggle. So bizarre. Right. So eventually Mr. Ruth is fit to stand trial. He pleads guilty to the attempted manslaughter. But he's released from custody in a plea bargain. What? Yeah. What was the plea bargain? I don't really know because it doesn't say. I couldn't find anything. It just says that. But this whatever, is like a decade after he did. Yeah. So this is in 19. So he's been institutionalized. Or this is in 2002, I think. Okay. So he's been in an institution for like 10 years. So they're like, uh, time served. I You're guess. Good. I guess. I don't know what the plea Weird. bargain was, but he pleads guilty to it, but then he's released. Okay. Yeah. Odd. So back to Todd now. In July of 1993, he's once again convicted of simple burglary. And this time he's sentenced to four years of hard labor and remanded to the East Baton Rouge Parish. Now, I want to know, these because there was something else I was just watching recently where someone is... Um, sentenced to hard labor. Yeah. Like, why don't we do that all the time? Right? Why aren't they all sentenced to, like, to hard labor? Hard labor. Yeah. And, like, what do you do? I want to know, like... What's it, the hard labor? Yeah. It does, I, I want to know, like, exactly how that... So if anybody knows, I mean, I guess I could Google it, but yeah. I feel like if you're... Yeah, like, if you're going to do some... I mean, if my kids get in trouble, I make them do hard labor <laughs> around the house. So, like, why shouldn't we make our prisoners? That's I think true. it's a fabulous idea. So that's in 1993. He's sentenced to the four years of hard labor, but he makes parole in July of 1995. So just two years after his conviction. Um, At that point, he moves to Lake Charles, where two months later, he's arrested on peeping Tom charges. This guy. Right. He at that point was sentenced to 120 days. But yet again, it was suspended and he was given two years unsupervised probation what the hell does that even like (laughs) that's nothing that doesn't even mean you're not even on probation it's unsupervised you literally go live your life yeah i mean i guess if you get caught again you go i guess straight back to jail but this man is continually being charged as a peeping tom and we're just why are we uh, giving him unsupervised probation he needs to be watched just like he watches other people right Ew. Like, he needs a peeping Tom that follows him <laughs> around and watches him. 
Like, I don't understand this. Like, you, he's been getting in trouble for this since he was a kid. Yeah. Like, he may not have been arrested as a child, but the police knew him. They knew he was a peeping Tom. They talk about right. it, like, in my readings, that, like, everyone knew him. He was the peeping Tom kid of the neighborhood. The police knew him. So, do you think it was just, like, the time people were like, well, I mean, it's not really that big of a deal like him it might have been too, you know and back then yeah it might not have like that big of a deal it might have been realized thought of it, like, yeah because i mean it and at those times too like you know this the term serial killer had just come around in right. the 80s like i don't know if they knew like because it just like what it generally can lead like, to progresses yeah but they probably didn't know that at the time so maybe they were just like listen we got bigger fish to fry here yeah we don't care that you peep in people's windows (laughs) and they're a big perv yeah so anyway so he gets to two years unsupervised probation so that's in 1995 in 1996 jackie's father henry would die in an explosion at the amico plant where he worked oh right so she would receive a settlement of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars after her father's death and apparently this was a shit ton of money where they were at because when I'm reading about, like, what they do with the money, like, I I mean, I know it was the mid-90s. Yeah, that seems like a lot of money for the mid-90s. But, but yeah, so Todd was in heaven. He, like, his life literally changed overnight. He started buying, like, super fancy clothes, gold chains, uh, fancy cars. He just was throwing money around at the bars, buying rounds for everybody. Oh, my gosh. The girls in the bars, you know, he'd come in with his fancy clothes, and they all just, like, wanted a piece of him. Man, if I was Jackie, I'd have told him to get bent. Right? Like, that's my dad's money. Yeah, and this is what is needed for your children, not for you. Yeah. You're a shitty husband. Yeah. But while he was, like, out living that nightlife, she really was just, like, a quiet person, and she just stayed home. Like, lived her quiet life with the kids while he was just out partying. But before the money was all gone, the couple did purchase a cute little three-bedroom brick home on almost one acre in the south area of town called Star Hill, which was right next to Todd's Uncle Robert that he'd always really looked up to. Okay. So they did at least do that with the money. No, wait. This wasn't the same uncle that turned him in for... No, that was Alfred. Alfred. Okay. (laughs) This is the difference. There's so many people. I know. Okay. So three weeks after his two-year probation ended, while out with his cousin Robert Lee Welcome and friend Sean Simpson, they're driving around, going out to get some cigarettes. They notice a Salvation Army bin. So, you know, in good taste, they pull over and steal everything out of the bin. Of course they do. Right? These guys are scum. Yeah. But thankfully, there was an officer patrolling the area and watched (laughs) them do everything. And so he attempts to pull the car over. Of course, they run and a chase ensues, but they're taken into custody when they pull into a private driveway. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> um, but once again, burglary and theft charges are reduced to misdemeanors. Of course, they are. So he has proven that he is rehabilitated. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Well, and at this point, he's gotten away with so much. I'm sure he thinks he's invincible. He can I do would. whatever he wants. I would no totally yeah, have no, that He's mindset. not going to get in trouble. I mean, he's done some pretty serious crimes. And they're and just like... He's getting yeah. a slap on the wrist time and time again. Yeah. So after this, he returns to St. Francisville, and he would continue to spoil himself with his wife's money. But he would also begin to spoil another person with his wife's money. This person was Cassandra Green, 
and they met at a local bar in March of 1997. They hit it off. Todd began spending more and more time with Cassandra, and while Jackie knew, she really didn't care because she enjoyed the peace and quiet she was afforded (laughs) when Todd was either away in prison or with other women. She was like, I don't want to deal with your shit. So she was like, fine with it. She's like, good. But Todd's relationship with Cassandra would soon become even more stormy than his marriage. Because while he and Jackie would fight, they would keep their fights like in the privacy of their home. Cassandra would go out partying with him, so they would fight in the bars. In the bars. Oh, yeah. And while Jackie could give two shits less who Todd was sleeping with, Cassandra really got tired of watching him openly flirt with all the women in the bar. <laughs> so, in, you know, the way of the world, in late 1998, Cassandra would become pregnant with Todd's child. Of course. Of course. So in July of 1999, she gives birth to a son that they name Dedrick Toddley or Dedrick Toddley. I don't know. But Todd now has two women nagging him, three mouths to feed, (laughs) and he's effectively spent all of Jackie's money. Instead of, you know, buckling down, working extra hard, he finds something or someone else to occupy his time. And that's where we'll end for today. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> so that is the end of kind of that. And cliffhanger. next. <laughs> cliffhanger. Um, next week, we'll get into all of the horrific things that he does. Okay. That he's at least linked to doing. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. This guy, man. Yeah. It's, okay. It's definitely interesting and crazy. And okay. All of that. I'm so, excited. Yeah, it's been it's been fun researching it. Just different and a lot more information. It's so much easier. Like these it is. <laughs> cases outside of Utah. Outside of Utah, and you can find like court records yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Utah yeah. is so hard to find information it really is. on. It really is. I and don't understand why. Yeah, and I know like other states, you can pull like autopsy records, so you can like read what happens. Yes. In Utah, you can't do you can't that. Do it. And it's so frustrating because I would like to know more about certain things. And yeah. It's, yeah. So this has been nice and just in that there's just a plethora of information yeah. to kind of go through. So I'm so, excited. Yeah. Can't um, wait to see how it ends. I know. I mean, with lots of murder, but. Well, that's what we're here <laughs> and for. Right? Murder and death. True crime. What is that on Zootopia? The oh, different- what? Yeah, oh, yeah. What, what is it? Death. She's like throwing the yes. cloth of death and. Oh, what Whoa. did she say? I'm gonna have to look it up. And it I will, know people it will... are screaming at their <laughs> radios right now. I will. I will reenact it for you next week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, with that being said, you guys, please, please, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sinners Among Saints Podcast, and please send us an email if at, you want to <laughs> at Sinners Among Saints Podcast at gmail dot com. And check us out on Twitter, even though I still am, like, not very good at it. I know. <laughs> give, a, give it a shot. Yep. We're trying, though. <laughs> Capital SAS podcast underscore 22. And hit up the Patreon, please. Please, please. You can do, is it patreon.com slash Sinners Among Saints? Sure. I think. Or we will link it in the It should show all notes. be leaked. So linked in the show notes. And if anybody, you know, 
I don't know, Netflix or Fizz. If anybody wants to sponsor us. Anyone, um, please. We Fizz, I spend a lot of money there. And we literally go get a Fizz before every podcast. We do. We'll take a picture of it. Every single one. Yeah, we do. We and go when and we get pull our up and Megan gives their num- her number, they're like, oh, do you want this and this again? We're like, yes, <laughs> yep. please. That's so it. So if you want to like support <laughs> us, we would appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so. All right. And, and remember to keep listening if you want in on the sin. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.